Hey, man. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. Loving the beard. Thanks. This is my quarantine beard. (laughs) (laughs) The perpetual quarantine. (laughs) Haven't haven't shaved it. (laughs) I figured, you know, I can't grow facial hair in general. So uh, to to have it, uh, the opportunity to grow it, you know, when I don't really have to see too many people, what better time? Yeah. Great seeing you. Yeah, great to see you, man. It's been a while. It has been a minute. Yeah, for sure. How's everything? What is new with you? Um, not much, I guess, terribly new. Let's see. Um, I've been sort of dabbling at writing something. Um, I'm going to an Alice Cooper show tomorrow night. Uh, awesome. With Nick. Um, I saw him in Charlotte. He opened for Iron Maiden. Oh, okay. Uh, like 10 years ago. Nice. Uh, great, great theatrical show. Yeah, Nick was telling me, he was like, you don't have to, he was like, you don't have to give a shit about Alice Cooper music. Um, oh. He was like, it's just going to be a, a performance. He's like, it's a legend that you'll get to see live and it's, it's a time. Yeah. Yeah, so. he's crazy. Uh, you know, when I, when I saw him, he had on like a, he, he brought out like a guillotine and <laughs> all kinds of weird shit. And it was just, it was a wild ride. It, I, I wasn't even drinking that night. <laughs> I should have been. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have a blast. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all that's like going on on my end. Um, what's, what's going on with you, man? Just working, man. That's uh, that's pretty much it. Like I'm, I have the three jobs right now, um, so it's a it's a lot of work. I also have a lot of downtime, though. Not even gonna lie, uh, you know. Um, but when I'm working, like, it's I'm on. Pretty focused on what yeah. I'm doing. Uh, so the downtime really is to kind of like decompress a little bit. Uh, but you know, and the the three gigs. I mean, they're they're pretty simple, but one of them really just kind of, you know, takes over mentally Mm -hmm. uh, because it's more creative. Uh, But everything else is, is pretty solid and coming up with lesson plans, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just trying to figure that kind of stuff out because first semester teaching really, it's an art skill to, I think, lesson planning. But I don't think students recognize as (laughs) for, for teachers and instructors. So that's it though. Okay. What, what's the official name of your class? Uh, we have video editing at Princeton okay. State, and then uh, the other one uh, that I'm assistant uh, teaching assistant for is uh, the developmental process. So. Okay, and that's more screenwriting. Okay, I was about to say developmental process. I was like, are we talking like you know in terms of pre-production and that kind of thing? So it's a grad level um, uh, screenwriting and producing course. So it's eight screenwriters and like nine producers just because that's how it worked out with enrollment this year and they come up with ideas they pitch those ideas they write treatments for ideas and by the end of the semester their goal is to come up with a a solid treatment okay for an idea that they have nice not bad yeah so going through the program it's kind of interesting to to see it from you know the student perspective and now seeing it from fresh eyes where it's like oh i did this two years ago yeah so Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul, and I'm joined with recurring friend of the show, Sky Tilly. 
Sky, how are you? I am well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the last episode was that you were on. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> I, I want to say, was it Tenet? Was it uh, a Christopher Nolan? It might have been. That sounds right-ish. It may have been. It may have been Dunkirk. I don't know. Uh, or maybe we just ended up talking about Christopher Nolan just in general. Yeah, and probably my complete and utter disdain for late stage Tenet, but yeah late stage nolan yeah <laughs> it's just so depressing but yeah i think so okay um well it's great to have you back on you know i was planning out a, a horror month and i was like you know i should have some some special guests in um and one of the first people that came to mind was you um oh, and so uh, I, I thought that this would be a particularly good one as well because it's James Gunn, it's Zack Snyder, and it's, you know, it's remakes. And I thought that it could be a, a good place for, for you to show some of your, your excellent skills. Oh, don't, don't, don't hype it up too much. They're not, they're very young. <laughs> Sky, we can't say that. You're a teacher. He's excellent, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> your education is worth every time. <laughs> the education is great it's the it's the user <laughs> error i think is really ah, okay down to. uh but no uh i'm super ready to pump uh talk about this we're talking about of course dawn of the dead from 1978 and dawn of the dead from 2004 the romero and the Zack snyder versions yeah uh, you know one is considered like the greatest zombie film of all time and then the other one is considered by many to be one of the best remakes um just in general uh but especially in the horror genre so i thought that it would be good to go in and take a part especially since he recently has returned to the horror genre snyder i thought that it would be good to go back and and look at his zombie roots and and also do a follow-up to our own episode on night of the living dead that we did a little while ago yeah um, so hopefully this is a good episode for y'all actually this is essentially like a sequel episode to the last two that we did because we did like night of the living dead and then we did army of the dead mm. and so now here we are and we're doing dawn and dawn so i'm curious i'll have to go back and listen to the army of the dead sec uh segment um I'll, I'll give you a spoiler i hate it <laughs> okay okay we're in the same boat it was okay uh... I, I think, you know, we're going to talk about this, I'm sure, but he needed a, a James Gunn script. Yeah. I think he was lost without that. So Yeah. Desperate. Desperate need yeah. of, a, of, a, of a solid script. Yeah. Uh, on that great side. ideas. Great, great, tremendous ideas. Yeah. Action-packed, you know. Uh, a lot but, of failed execution on some of those ideas. A lot of build yeah. it up and yeah. where'd it go? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Um, but no, this movie is um, very different than that movie, and it'll be a lot of fun to, to talk about, so let's get into it, and we'll start chronologically with George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, and as always, we have a clip, so take a listen. In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. 
this situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn of the Dead. So that was Dawn of the Dead. Uh, as I said, directed by George Romero, written by George Romero. Uh, and it stars uh, David M.G. M.G.? Emge, uh, Ken Foray, uh, Scott H. Reininger, uh, Galen Ross, and uh, also, of course, its own makeup uh, effects, special effects makeup person, Tom Savini. Mm-hmm. And the premise is following an ever-growing epidemic of zombies that have risen from the dead, Two Philadelphia SWAT team members, a traffic reporter, and his television executive girlfriend seek refuge in a secluded shopping mall. Um, Sky, since you are a, uh, since you're the guest, why don't you start us out? So, um, this movie was impossible to track down, uh, or I thought it was actually very simple. Uh, but if you're trying to find it legally, like on any sort of streaming service, uh, or to just purchase the DVD, apparently there's something wrong with like distribution or some kind of issues. I haven't read too much into it, but it's near impossible to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fortunately, you know, I reached out to you and I was like, I want to watch this movie again. Cause I hadn't seen it since I was a kid and, uh, I can't find it. And, uh, you told me it was on YouTube. So shout out to YouTube <laughs> for that. Yeah, and there's like yeah. three different versions on YouTube. There's one that's like an extended cut with like two and a half hours long, and I was like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not doing that. But uh, I watched the regular two hours and nine minute cut mm-hmm. of the film, entirely too long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I figure the greatest horror zombie film of all time should be a nice ninety minute cut of a film. Uh, this was just, it was so long. And I'm not saying that it was bad. I'm just saying that by today's standards, I've been conditioned, like all audience uh, viewers, that anything over two hours is just too long. And for a horror movie in general, like you got to get that 90, 95 minute, maybe even 100 minutes. And past that, you start to lose interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a little long. Uh, but the nostalgic of it was great. I remembered certain scenes from when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And specifically, the uh, towards the end, uh, in the third act, when the biker gang comes up, and I was like, oh, there's Tom Savini. Uh, so what I did, though, kind of backtracking, was I watched this movie, not in terms of quality, because, you know, like I said, we've been conditioned. We've seen zombie films. We've seen zombie shows. We, we understand the genre by this point. Um, it was a blast for that time for 1978 standards, insane, insane yeah. quality, uh, you know, great stuff that they, they did, um, thematically, I think it works on a lot of levels, probably even better than the remake. Um, some of the stuff that they really have time, have time to dig into, because again, there's so much time in this movie. Uh, you do get to spend a lot of time with these characters, and you get to see what they're doing in this kind of world that's inhabited by zombies now. And that was very interesting. Um, you know, but now as modern day audience members, we love character development. We love to get attached to these characters. And unfortunately for me, 
I was unable to attach myself to any character in the 1978 version. I had no interest if they lived or died, didn't care. Um, and I think that was just a product of the time. Like they mm -hmm. didn't really focus on that. They focused more on shot value and look at this horror that we're seeing, you know, a yeah, great sure. ideas, especially with like all the bodies that we're seeing and they're just collectively moving them and disposing of them. Um, and it did remind me a little bit, I think I sent you a text of um, Carpenter's uh, Assault on uh, Precinct 13 that came yeah. out two years prior, especially with like uh, so many instances of characters just going crazy and uh, you know the, the shocking nature of what you would be seeing in 1978. No, for sure. Um, so I, first off I realized a few th a few things about my my watching of it. I, I I definitely understand where you're coming from. Um, I ended up really enjoying it. I actually watched the two hour and thirty four minute version of the movie. <laughs> 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 so let me tell you, um, yeah, it's and and you know it's long. Like you definitely <laughs> you feel that two and a half hours undoubtedly but i almost on a certain level loved that because mm -hmm. there were like very extended sequences of, of just monotony beyond all monotony yeah. and you really just dug in and watched these people just sort of live in this mall in that two and a half hour version for a really long time yeah. <laughs> and i found it fascinating it, it just <laughs> it suddenly diverted so much away from being what i had expected from a zombie movie that i was like no, I think I like it. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, there you go. But I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that it definitely is a thematically much richer movie than the remake is. And we can talk more about that when, the, when we talk about the remake. But in this movie, you've got, obviously, the consumerism of it at play. Um, right. I think to a certain degree, you get kind of um, a little bit of... I think you could make a, an argument either way with the one cop that kind of, you know, goes a little bit nuts. Mm -hmm. uh, he's either a little bit of sort of a, a Vietnam sort of allegorical figure, you know, this guy who's almost a little bit numb to it to the point that he goes a little bit nuts. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I think when they're injecting him with morphine and stuff like that at the end and he just looks strung yeah. out literally it's it's very obviously like a, a heroin sort of metaphor going on right um, so this movie has a much i think richer tone to it than the new one and like the married couple you watch or not the married couple but the couple that you know has this this child together um on the way you watch mm -hmm. that them just drift apart and neither yeah. of them are necessarily good people <laughs> right you know Right. The, the only one that's maybe kind of interesting for me that I did like feel compelled for was Peter. Um, yeah. And I actually was really hoping at the end that he wasn't spoiler alert, but it's from 78. So whatever. Um, if yeah, you haven't seen it by now, it's, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is, I really thought that Peter was about to either do one of two things, kill himself or let her go away, kill all the zombies in there, and become like the weird hermit of them all. And I was yeah. really in favor of him becoming the weird hermit of them all. Oh, here's another <laughs> one. I know this, we're not talking about it right now, but what if he became Andy from, ah. uh, <laughs> from the remake? That would have been pretty dope. No, that would have been nice. Um, but I, 
for the most part, I really enjoyed it. I definitely understand there's a distance to these characters. They're not necessarily like enjoyable people. I'm not sure I would want to be trapped in a mall with these people. And so right. that certainly does make like the engagement of the journey with them, I think, like a, a hard thing to your point. Um, but you're right. When it is fun, it is a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Like when the gore kicks in, when the violence is going on, and like when it's firing on those cylinders, it's great. The police raid scene is pure chaos. It's, it's crazy. Um, and I, I had no idea. The, the second thing that I realized about this movie while I was watching it was that I had only ever seen this movie from a certain point into it onward. Right. And so when it started with the scene of the news reporters and then we went to the to the raid scene, I was like, the fuck movie? How have it's I missed this movie. part of the movie? <laughs> I, I had to stop. I was like, someone's <laughs> fucking with me on YouTube right now. This isn't legit. <laughs> this is another movie. <laughs> Oh, no, I was, I had the same thought. I was like, I guess this is how it starts. Cause like I went and I looked at the cast and I was like, no, like this is them. These are the people, this is the movie. So I guess, I guess we got to get into it. And so then I suddenly realized that I've only ever caught it from like almost an hour into this thing. And that's also at the mall. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's also probably why I I remembered this movie is definitely being like a brisker film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you cut off 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I mean, a great it's, 45, but it's it's just yeah. so a different movie. Yeah. You yeah. know, even like uh, color palette wise, that first mm-hmm. scene, it really doesn't even match tonally to the raid scene. No. You know, it really does feel like two different productions. Well, and honestly, throughout the whole film, and this is probably because, you know, it was it was a cheap film made, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, it was produced by an Italian company and Romero's own company, so yeah. not like a huge huge budget. I think it was like a, I think it literally was like a million dollars or something like that. Um, yeah. And they were shooting in the mall like after hours um, because it was I think the mall that like Rom- Romero knew the people of. Um, I he told them about like his plans towards the third act. Um, I don't know, but I was right through your mall. Uh, apparently, I was reading up on the history of this movie. You know, I like to do research, and first of all, I have four books that I thought would surely have something on Romero. Only one of them did, and it was to reference how this film was a part of Dario Argento's plan to create a series of zombie films and market them in Italy. Yeah, and that was the only reference to Romero or Dawn of the Dead in four different books that I looked in. That's wild. Um, yeah, so I knew I, he had plans with Argento mm-hmm. uh, because obviously, you know, Argento was kind of, you know, another king during that time. Yeah. So. Um, and I do know that apparently some of the zombies liked to get a load on at the bar that was actively in the mall because they would get there at seven and the mall would close at nine and that's when they would start recording. And the zombies would go and like get makeup on and stuff like that. And then they would go and drink at the bar. And apparently there was one time where a group of zombies crashed a, um, with a load on crashed a golf cart into a column and caused $7,000 worth of damage in the mall. (laughs) That's the most expensive extra. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
Absolutely. So there's a little fun fact for you. Um, but this movie was just sort of like a, a little bit of an insane ride. Like how it got made was definitely, you know, that weird, co- it, it was, it was a Romero flick, you know, it was a who's mm-hmm. who of, of Romero people behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And then it was a, a group of people who had some acting experience. The main woman had no acting experience at all. She had never professionally acted before. Wow. Um, and they were doing just all kinds of crazy, crazy shit to make this movie. The head explosion scene and the raid scene, mm-hmm. uh, they actually shot the prosthetic head with a real shotgun. Tom Savini fired a real shotgun at that thing to make it blow up. And everyone in the cast was like, I don't know why they're making this movie. It's never going to get released in America. Like no right. one in America is going to see it. Um, so it was, it was a pretty wild, to your point, it was a wild and shocking film, but definitely by like modern standards, it is, you know, not at all what people think of when they think of, I'm going to sit down and watch a zombie movie. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I was reading up on it a little bit too. Uh, he waited 10 years to make this film uh, with the intent because he didn't want people to uh, think of him just as the horror guy, which is kind mm-hmm. of ironic because he is the horror guy. He's the, the zombie horror guy. So um, kind of interested, I guess, a little bit of what he may have done within that 10 years if he had just made up his mind and been like, I'm okay with being known as this kind of guy. Yeah. Um, he talks briefly, he went and he made Season of the Witch right after Night Mm. of the Living Dead. And then after that, he made The Crazies, the original Crazies. Yeah, that's right. He did do The Crazies. And neither of them went anywhere at all. They both were completely DOA. And so he just ended up like going back to doing sort of like commercial work, which is what he had been doing. And then eventually he ended up shooting a movie, Martin. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. And um, it was during Martin that someone got him talking to Dario Argento, and he pitched the idea of Dawn of the Dead, this mall-based movie, and Dario Argento flew him and I think his assistant director and I think his wife as well um, to Italy and... George would sit and write pages and every few days a translator would come and take the pages and translate them into Italian and give them to Dario and he would read them and then they would go out to dinner and George and Dario would have like a very stilted conversation about the script and the story and the movie and things like that. Um, But Dario Gento, according to him at least, and Romero, didn't really give a lot of input, didn't really give a lot of notes. He was just like, yeah, it's good. Throw some blues in there. <laughs> Throw some lighting. Throw some blue lighting in there. <laughs> can, you, can you make the music louder <laughs> and more awful? <laughs> yeah, we want more strings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> more like you don't ever want to listen to it outside of the context of the movie. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The music in this film was nuts. It was yeah. so jarring in comparison to what you're seeing. It's almost kind of like poking fun of itself, you know, like... Um, there's a quote that I found of him where he said, it's comic book stuff. If I could have, I'd have put like the pow and the zap and the zowie like in there. Yeah. 
And he said, I wanted it to be cowboys and aliens with like throwing pies. And that's part of the reason that he puts the literal pie throwing scene in there. Yeah. Is because for him, this was partially just like wickedly ghoulish fun. Yeah. And it really kind of like nails in the idea that zombies aren't really the problem. It's yeah. society and it's people, it's your neighbor, it's the person who you don't really know. They're the problem. And there's a, a person in the movie that I, I, when I watched it, uh, and he said something along the lines of, and I'm going to be terribly misquoting here, uh, that the smart ones are already dead and the dumb ones are still alive. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's going to tie in later. And <laughs> sure enough, it really did. Yeah. No, and, you know, it's during that that raid sequence when they also were pieing the zombies that you get the sense of, of obviously the, the, the true consumerism message at play which is you know like suburban america having all of this excess that they just sort of keep to themselves quietly and then an element comes and they do keep it to themselves you know and then that group comes in but also that group doesn't come in and just take what they need or what's reasonable in an apocalypse they go and they start stealing the rings and they start truly like just raiding and looting. But then also the suburban dude is like, Oh, I got to stand my ground and, and go to war for this, you know? And it's, it really lands at home, like right in those, in that final, those final moments. Yeah. One of the best shots I thought was um, when one of the biker gang members comes over and he starts stealing the jewels from the zombie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She died with them on and now someone else is just taking them away. Yeah. Ripping them off of her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Very cool imagery in that movie for sure. Um, Really had a blast with it. Did not kind of went into it, you know, knowing the history of it and and being like, okay, this is a cult classic. People adore this film. Um, You know, trying to get into that kind of headspace. And I, like I said, I completely understand yeah for that time and why it still resonates with people no absolutely um it definitely still hit hard for me you know we recently watched night of the living dead and by the way after watching this i call absolute bullshit that he didn't have race in his mind when he made night of the living dead because race is way too also at the front of this movie's themes as well for you to then not have it in in your previous one yeah, I think it's bullshit. You can call it immediately when you have an African-American actor as your lead hero in mm-hmm. 1968 and then again in 1978. He yeah. is the badass. He is the guy that we're following. He's the voice of reason. He is your moral compass. Yeah. And you're going to say that your first film had nothing to do with racism? Don't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to call bullshit. Um, yeah. But no, so watching this... Um, it was it was just as impactful as Night of the Living Dead is, you know, but in its own much more gruesome, much more visceral way. But it also does have this wild abandon and whimsy and, and fun that you definitely see echoed in later generations of horror filmmakers that see how you can can have both, you know, all of the serious thematic content that you want and you can also make people go, that was gross and fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. But it also is definitely not, you know, fair warning. It is not for like modern sensibilities. So, you know, if you're not up for something on the slower side, then maybe not for you. 
If you're not up for a two and a half hour long zombie film, do it. Do the two and a half hour one. <laughs> Lean into it. <laughs> That's the I mistake of the two hour nine minute one. You know, it's just yeah. longer past the hour and a half mark. Yeah. Uh, that it 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 shows how long it is, but it doesn't then just make you go, well, I'll just settle into this, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, some of the interesting things that I saw too was with with Night of the Living Dead, you have um, Barbara, you know, mm-hmm. the, the lead uh, actress. Uh, you know, she's so helpless in that movie. She does absolutely nothing throughout mm-hmm. that movie. And then with this one, we have uh, our female protagonist. Uh, you know, she pretty much does absolutely nothing. And there's actually a line in there too, where she's uh, she's like, I would have made you boys uh, breakfast if I had my pots and pans. And I was like, oh God, this is what we're doing right now. I get it, it's 1978, but oh my goodness. And uh, then later she actually redeems herself by saying, you know, I'm not your mom, I'm not your housewife, I'm not your maid, this is not what I'm doing. And I was like, oh, okay. So I don't know where we're going with her now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I just thought it was very interesting the way that he um, handled racism, but I don't think he did a really great job of handling sexism. No. Well, and and if you watch the behind the scenes stuff, which you can also find in places online, um, she talks about how he wanted her to like do this big scream and she was like, no. <laughs> and he was like, why not? And she was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to be this screaming woman and, yeah. and I'm not going to fall down and I'm not going to like ballyhoo and cry. And, yeah. and apparently like Romero was really like, wow. And so I think that it probably ends up not getting handled as well, but being there because it's just kind of hitting him for the first time on a certain level. Right. Exactly. And I mean, it was for the time for sure, mm-hmm. but you know, towards the beginning when you have Steven, uh, the, uh, the fly boy, I think is what he's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's on the ground. There's a zombie on top of him and he's reaching for a hammer. And then she's over there in the background and she's like looking at trees. She's looking at birds yeah. flying overhead. And I'm like, go get the hammer. What are we doing? Yeah, just grab but the hammer, gonna, chuck it to him. You got to reset. You got to reset your brain and really kind of put yourself in the theater in mm-hmm. 1978 to watch this. Yeah, for sure. And that's also, you know, recommendations that we've made for some other films like MASH is one that I've often said, like, you have to think of it definitely in the context of when you're watching it as well. Yeah. Um, Like you said, too, I mean, it really was like in parts an allegory for the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. you know, especially with the PTSD of him going crazy, which was a very... that is an annoying scene because he's just screaming at the top of his lungs for five minutes. And I'm like, just die already. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it may, like I said, I mean, it makes sense in the context of this is a metaphor. This is, uh, you know, about the Vietnam war. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, so out of, out of five, what would you, what would you give it? By today's standards or by 1978 standards? Because uh, I think they're different. I think let, you can let's do, both. do both. Yeah, let's do both. For 1978, for all the stuff that it managed to do, I think it would probably be like a 4.5. Okay. What about you? 
Um, for 78, um, for 78, I think if you could get past the, you know, the gore of it, I, I'd probably give it a five. Yeah. I think it probably would have blown my mind pretty like wide open, you know, seeing yeah. some crazy shit like this back in 78. What about, yeah, for, I mean, for... really oh, what ahead. we had was what psycho we had, uh, uh, last house on the left by Wes Craven, Texas chainsaw, Massacre. Texas chainsaw massacre by Toby Hooper. Like, you know, it was still very shocking for the time. And it did some stuff that was very new. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think 4.5 or 5. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and then for today's standards, just because we've seen so much and people have been so conditioned to the newer zombies and things like that, I would probably say maybe a 3, a solid 3. Okay. It's nothing that I really care to go back and maybe rewatch. Okay. Um, I'm going to give it, I'll, I'll still, I think that if you can get into the groove of it as a modern audience member, I think that you'll still find it worthwhile. And I think that you can give it a four if you can get into the groove of it. Yeah. No, that's fair. If you can get into the groove. If. <laughs> if. You know, it's just, uh, it would have been a much better experience for me if they cut off 30 minutes. If, if we just started at the mall. 30 minutes long, start at the mall. Don't care how these people know each other. They just know each other. They're surviving. They're all in the helicopter. Their goal is to live in the society. And then the obstacle comes up, the biker gang, what are we going to do? Perfect. Well, I mean, you know, you want to talk about like a great example of, even though I love the movie, you want to talk about a great example of like a fluff scene that's just for the gag is the chopping off of the helicopter blades of the, of the zombie head. Yep. That whole scene really doesn't serve the plot in any particular way. Doesn't really move anything forward. It was just to show forward. you, to have yeah. a good time. Yeah, to, to do the zombie kids that we shoot up and, yeah. and, you know, chop off the head of this zombie. and It was a popcorn flick to get teenagers' butts in seats, and it worked. It yeah. did a great job. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's all really fair. Um, I do know why it is in rights issues. If you're, if you're curious, I am very curious. So apparently the international rights, I think are still tied up with like Argento's company and that kind of thing, which I think partially complicates it. The other Mm -hmm. thing is that domestically, I think all of the rights are held, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm understanding this all correctly by the producer Richard Rubenstein and apparently he was working on at some point re-releasing Dawn of the Dead in 3D for a modern audience and it ended up not really working and he's ran into like a lot of issues with it but apparently he's holding on to it and holding on to the rights hoping that he can finally in some way use this Dawn of the Dead 3D in some way because rumor has it you know word around the campfire not sure how true this is so grain of salt um (laughs) that he's like six million deep on doing this 3d project and that he wants to try and recoup something from it nope not gonna happen happen. you can't wait nearly 50 years for something like that and where is the 3d moments Where, where do those take place yeah Unless you're going to use it in some kind of really revolutionary way to add tremendous depth to this thing that makes it just a visually interesting presentation to try and make it feel more isolated. But like, you're also just not going to get 
I think enough people who were going to be like, wow, that really needed to be in 3D. Like it's <laughs> right. people aren't going to get it really necessarily. Right. Don't touch it. Yeah. No. Honestly, and if you want to do anything, fans, it's gonna get pissed. if you want to do anything, take this scan that you already have. Um, see if you can't get a, a, a colorist to come in and, and fix some of those color grading issues that you have from film grade to film grade or camera to camera, whichever. Yeah. <laughs> and do a really nice sort of like Criterion re-release like happened with Night of the Living Dead. You want to talk yeah. about how you're going to recoup some money off of the Dawn of the Dead film. Yeah. There you go. But Yeah, re-release it in 4K. Yeah, easy. <laughs> Slam dunk. There it is. There it is. You'd pay, you'd, people would pay 20 bucks a copy for that, 30 bucks a copy, whatever those Criterion collections go for now. It's, oh, yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you could even go and, and you can get it and get in on the whole like revitalization of like the VHS market. And you can go and do like little niche VHS releases of Dawn of the Dead. There are so many ways that you could take this thing and, yeah. and, and make some money off of it. Never before seen set photos that we're going to include with this copy. Boom. Easy. Yeah. Um, moving on, we now have the very different, um, <laughs> but at the core, somewhat similar remake from 2004, Dawn of the Dead. And as always, we have a clip. So take a listen. Look up the road, there's a lot more of them. Why are they coming here? Maybe they're coming for us. Sooner or later, they're gonna get in here. Our baby's here before. It's only a matter of time. It's coming. They'll find a way in. Oh, God. So... That was Dawn of the Dead, which is directed by Zack Snyder and written by James Gunn. The plot is a nurse, a policeman, a young married couple, a salesman, and other survivors of a worldwide plague that is producing aggressive flesh-eating zombies take refuge in a mega Midwestern shopping mall. And the film stars Sarah Polly, Ving Rhames, Mackay Pfeiffer, Jake Weber, Ty Burrell, uh, Michael Kelly, Kevin Zegers, Zegers, um, Lindy Booth, um, and those are really, uh, oh, and uh, a little appearance from Matt Frewer, and also a little cameo again from Tom Savini and several of the cast members from the original Dawn of the Dead as well. Um, I guess I'll start off with this one, um, since you started on the last one. I also realized watching this that this is another movie that I had only seen from a certain point onward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why both of these are somehow movies that I just like missed certain parts of. This I had missed like a, a considerably smaller portion of. Right. Um, but I had definitely just somehow missed like the opening of this movie. Um, so I, I really did not realize that like we started this movie so heavily with Ving Rhames and stuff like that. Like I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. um, that opening. It's a great opening. Great yeah. opening for the horror film. Um, and I really, I had seen like the, the stuff that really had stuck with me was all of the later movie stuff, which is like, you know, 
the zombie baby and 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 things like that all of that stuff that comes much later was more of what had stuck with me but also right. somehow the ending had completely not hit with me so it was this weird it was like, a new experience yeah it was this weird pocket where i was like man i'm i'm practically rewatching like a third to two thirds of this movie for the first time um and overall i really had a great experience it's just as much kind of popcorn fun as Slither, mm-hmm. but a much sleeker presentation. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I think I might argue with that. Okay. Uh, and I think, so I want to backstrap, I want to backstep a little bit uh, with the opening. I've seen this movie so many times. It was one of my favorites uh, growing up. I was 15 when it came out in 2004. Um, so I probably snuck into a theater and watched it. Uh, and it really stuck with me for a long time. I bought it on DVD when it came out. Uh, I think I have a poster still up in my, uh, my old, my, my mom's house uh, in my bedroom. Uh, so, I mean, it really, you know, this movie does a lot for me. Uh, the, the one thing that I really noticed when I went back and rewatched it, I rewatched it again today was that it was almost filled with like an Instagram filter, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the harshness of the coloring on this film is so strange. Yeah. Uh, and I think talking about presentation wise, um, that was almost like a distraction at points, especially with the vibrancy of the, the sky. There's one section where half the screen is green, the other screen is blue. And I was just like, that's just so jarring. It takes me out of the experience of watching a movie. I know I'm watching a movie now. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus with Slither, uh, Slither might be a lot uh, lower budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think James Gunn makes the most of that budget. And I think yeah. Zack Snyder, you know, 2004, that's like the dawn of the digital age with filmmaking in general. I think he was just like, fuck it. Let's just throw up the saturation here. Let's throw up the contrast. Let's just mess around with all the stuff that we have at our disposal. Mm-hmm. No, I think that that's fair. I think it's sleeker. I'm not sure it's necessarily better. You oh, know, okay. It's just it has all of his. Um, you know, I noticed a few of his his things that would later on become hard trademarks of his. You know, so I noticed a few slow mo shots that were a little yeah. a little gratuitous but they were still very restrained, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed, um, oh God, there was another one. There was another one where I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's Zach. Um, <laughs> but there, there are definitely some moments where I was like, no, I can see how this guy eventually, you know, does a metamorphosis thing to eventually who he becomes. And yeah. What I'll say about uh, Slither definitely has a very grounded, gritty, real approach that I think makes that movie wonderful. This movie is definitely... The the thing about Zack Snyder is Zack Snyder is, I think, whether it's early Zack Snyder or late Zack Snyder, he is always wanting to, in some way, hyper-accentuate the fact that it is filmmaking that he is doing. Um. Yeah. And I think that that can be a little isolating at times. I think it works better here because I think that James Gunn was his screenwriter and James Gunn has a great way with words. I think he crafted a great script that allowed Zack Snyder to then go, 
and do some of the stuff that he does best, which is add a little visual flair here and a little panache there and truly yeah. direct the material. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the good script is what kept a lot of him restrained. Yeah, you know, I've always said that Zack Snyder is very much like Rob Zombie mm-hmm. as a director. And for me, I think it's more of like, artistically, I think they're brilliant in their own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they just need someone surrounding them to rein them in. Like, yeah. We need you to focus because yeah. you're, you're yeah. brilliant, but don't let the brilliance cloud your, your product. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I think that the issue is that the greater and greater success you get so often, the more and more the restraints come off. I think it was Jack White. I once uh, heard or read an interview with him where he was um, talking about how on a certain level, you know, he, he preferred the early days of his career where he didn't have access to as many crayons in the box because he had to get more creative that way. Right. And I think that you, you always run the risk, you know, success is a double-edged sword on a certain level. You get better, you get more notoriety, you get more access, you can do more. But now you no longer are having to think outside the box to create that same effect. You know, you can just go and order it and it's done. And, and it, it can also, I think, disconnect you from your, your roots as a, as a storyteller, you know, on a certain level. And I think you see it happen a lot in film. I think it's a very hard way to, I think it's a hard place to stay grounded, you know, and I think yeah. you're right. You need people who, who keep you grounded and look at you and go, you can't do it. <laughs> this scene has to go. <laughs> it's not doing anything. It's got to yeah. leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, but overall, I really enjoyed this movie. You know, the yeah. gore factors up. Um, the performances are really good. Um, yeah, you get running zombies, which if that's your, yeah. your thing, then for me, it's a lot more terrifying. Yeah, the uh, zombies here are the absolute focus. Yeah, you can't throw a pie in these faces. Of these no, zombies. you're you going to get screwed. It. Yeah. Um, and so they really, you know, and that's, I guess, kind of your your only choice with a zombie movie is you really, I think, have to either make it to where your zombies are your main threat or your zombies are just a a way for you to get to the person that you actually want to talk about, which is the threat of man. Mm-hmm. And here they right. absolutely get into the no zombies are the thing here you know and i think as a zombie fan that's what i want and that's why you know we're going off on a tangent here but that's why walking dead doesn't work for me is because Mm -hmm. it's not about the zombies it's about people Mm -hmm. right like that's the threat zombies aren't the threat but when you have a truly terrific zombie film i think it really is no zombies are the threat and it's the same thing with the crazies like you know of course you have the government who is uh, responsible the responsible one. So they're an antagonist. Don't get me wrong, but your constant through line of antagonists are the zombies slash crazies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, who, you know, essentially are, are perpetuating, you know, this thing that was maybe caused by someone else, but they are now themselves the threat. They've now become consumed by it. Mm-hmm. They are now the threat themselves. Um, you know what I appreciated too with, with this version of the Dawn of the Dead is that they didn't completely abandon the consumerist themes, right? Like they still have their apartment. They're still set up nicely. They're still trying to do regular everyday activities. 
Love the golfing scene. Love the chess scene. And they didn't have to do shit to be like, you're going to care about Andy. You're going to yeah, care yeah. about this gun shop owner who you only see having a sign up the entire time. Yeah. You know, you hear his voice on the radio when he gets bitten, but that's it. And all it really took was just for you to be like, oh, they're having a fun time. Now he's holding up a sign that says hungry. And that's all you needed to mm-hmm. care about that character. And I think that that's the, the fascination with me with filmmaking is, and I think that's why film history is important. And when we look at a film like the old Dawn of the Dead, the 1978 version, and we don't have that character development, but it laid the groundwork for character development to be had uh, in more modern times. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, it's, it's terrific. And we needed that foundation to be where we are today. No, for sure. And, you know, I think that even though I do love that opening bit from the first movie, James Gunn is smart when he decides we don't need it. Right. Start at the mall, essentially. Like, we jump to it real quick. We have some stuff outside of it. But comparatively speaking, it's like, swoop a doop we're at the mall. You know? <laughs> Let's talk about that opening, though, for the modern day one. Yeah. Because it struck me. Okay. And it wasn't even the fact that the kid came in and did, like, that was fine. That was cool. What got me was that this nurse came in wearing her scrubs that she's been in all day over time. And she just lays in the bed. The guy in the bed, he's already in the bed with his shoes on. I'm like, what? You guys need to clean these sheets. And (laughs) (laughs) y'all are filthy. This is a plague. You guys are so gross. Uh, (laughs) That's what got me. And I I was sitting there uh, with my girlfriend and she hadn't seen it before. And she made the comment and I was like, Oh my God, you're right. Like that is so weird. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was just a very interesting way to, to, to start the movie. Mm-hmm. No, I, um, I agree in it that, that ultra wide shot, that panoramic, you know, sort of tilt is, is yeah. fantastic. It's incredible. Um, and I, I even enjoy, you know, the, uh, the sort of weird fisheye from behind the car tracking shot that we occasionally cut to. It's yeah. really, there's some really good, interesting visuals on display. Um, ultimately, I think I will rewatch both of these films for sure, but I will definitely be sort of rewatching the first one because I really enjoy the themes of the first one. And I also love some of how gritty and gnarly some of that original gore is. Right. Um, and then I'll come to this one because this one has still some of those themes that I like but is also just an absolute blast. And like the it's second a fun one, movie. Yeah, the remake movie is definitely like a invite some people over and have a good time. Right. Sort of a zombie movie. Yeah, that's fair. The 1978 is I'm going to appreciate this for what it did. And I'm still, you know, like you said, like some people might have a great time looking at it now. It's just an audience. But I think if you were to look at it analytically, mm-hmm. it is a far superior movie to the remake. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at it as like, what do I want to have more fun? Yeah. You're going to have more fun watching the 2004 version. Yeah, for sure. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Um, so out of five, what would you give the, the new one? It's funny because as a, uh, you know, as a 14-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid, I would have been like five out of five. It was amazing. Uh, watching it today, I think with the Instagram filter that I was talking about, uh, there was a, I enjoyed Mackay Pfeiffer's uh, storyline. I thought that that was a great story plot. I wanted more of it, honestly. I wanted to dig yeah. deeper. 
I wanted them to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, and like we were saying, I think before uh, the podcast started, or maybe during, uh, great ideas were presented, but they were just like failed executions at parts. Mm-hmm. I think that that was definitely one of them uh, where they could have done more. Um, so I think I'd probably go 3.5. Okay. Uh, I was honestly thinking about a 3.5 as well, just because it is a little thematically light. You yeah. Know? Um, but still a great time. Still yeah. an awesome movie. Absolute um, blast. And for me, if you can get a 3.5 or I always do a 10 point, but if you can get into yeah. that, like, Seven seven point five range for a horror film. I think you're you're golden, especially yeah. when you're not dealing with heavy themes like religion or mm-hmm. uh, anything like that. I think you're doing a really good job. No, absolutely. And you know they were both great times for for me and my wife. And so I think both of them are movies that you know you can appreciate with groups of people and others. You know, just be definitely mindful of who you watch each of them with as well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. I do love uh, very much so uh, Ricardo Queso, Richard Cheese's version of Down With The Sickness. Uh, I was a big fan of that song when it came out. I adored him. I still listen to him. He has a fantastic rendition of Bop by Cardi B that you should oh, definitely okay. listen to. And it's hilarious. That's worth, that's worth noting. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, he's terrific. Uh, so I just wanted to plug him because I... For me, he's also part of the reason why this movie works so well because of that mm-hmm. soundtrack. No, yeah, and James Gunn again. You know, I'm not sure how involved he was with some of this, but there, it definitely obviously had some influence from him because the end credit song is the same opening credit song from The Suicide Squad most recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he definitely must have had some sort of, I guess he must just in general write the, the songs that he wants into it, just as a rule yeah. of thumb. He probably does, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and before I forget, in the first film, uh, the 1978 version, I did hear, I'm a big fan of Gorillaz. I don't know if you like the, the band, but uh, there's an album called Demon Days, and they have an intro. And the intro from that album, I just found out, was played in the 1978 uh, version of uh, Dawn of the Dead, and I was like, oh. "Oh my god!" Like they they took that little segment and they put it at the start of their album. I just thought that, that was insane. Really cool. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. No, I, there are I think a lot of surprising places where like movies and things like that and other media get sampled in in rap, and of course, there's also the culture of sort of just name dropping, you know, different right. pop culture icons throughout rap lyrics as well. um so and music lyrics in general um so that's interesting um i'm trying to think what else do we want to do i mean i guess we could we'll give the the listeners last week i talked about the vote that was coming up for the iatse strike uh if you haven't been keeping up with it yeah it passed overwhelmingly yeah um of the, I think it was like 80-some percent of eligible voters that did vote, it's, it's a 98% approval. Yeah. Um, the Directors Guild of America also recently signed a letter saying that they are uh, in solidarity with this strike. So a lot of pressure's on for the, the producers uh, to really try and figure out something. They released a statement saying that they are still trying to come up with some sort of good faith agreement. And I'm like, man, they really have 
they really have y'all in a pickle and y'all really don't know how you're going to get out of it yet. That's all I heard. (laughs) Just pay your people, treat them like humans. It's pretty simple. You know, once upon a time, I heard all of these stories growing up, you know, from my grandfather about how he worked for this company and he worked there for so long and he would get like milestone gifts you know like every five years and he retired and he got a pension until the day that he died even though the company like went under and um i'm not saying that we necessarily have to go all the way to pension level but what the fuck happened in between (laughs) yeah what happened to just acknowledging the the job that you're doing Mm -hmm. yeah you know humanity of it I didn't work, you know, in entertainment or anything like that. I worked as a journalist. Uh, I won't name drop the station, uh, but you know, I did. The, I was there for three years, and each year that I was there, I would get a little envelope, and I was like, "Ooh, what's this?" And in the envelope would be a small piece of candy and a baseball card. And I was there for three years, and let me tell you, there are people there who have been there a lot longer than me. And that is still all they get as recognition and thank yous. So it goes across the board, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Treat your people the way that you should be treating them with respect and just be like, we appreciate you. We appreciate mm-hmm. the time and the devotion that you have done. Yeah. And I promise you, you'll get a better work ethic. People will want to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously in the entertainment industry, you can get away with doing a lot more shady stuff because people move all the way across the country to be there and to be working on those types of productions. Like that's what they want. So they're willing to take up with that bull crap mm-hmm. that they're dishing for a little while, but eventually they will get burned out. And I think that's what happened. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, eventually um, the other issue is that for so long, so much of, and I talked about this, I think before as well, for so long, so much of Hollywood and and working conditions at large across all types of jobs have been things that we just don't talk about you know don't talk about how much money you make you know don't and also in certain cases people have been forced into those situations through sometimes unreasonable non-disclosure agreements you know that have kept a lot of secrecy that has allowed a lot of abuse to be sheltered um and you know it goes all the way from newsroom industry to how hollywood treats its interns and like how the people that um ended up suing uh a group over an unlawful internship ended up not getting jobs in the media industry you know they ended up getting blacklisted for it so for years there's just been rampant abuse overall and so yeah once you burn people out and you treat people worse and worse yeah eventually people are going to get tired of it. And that's why at the same time that this strike is happening, you're also seeing um, Kellogg cereal mm-hmm. workers just went on strike, you know, and, yeah. and I'm not trying to get like overly preachy, but you know, these are people that are hitting points of feeling unheard and overworked yeah. for too long. Yeah. Uh, you know, too, I mean, it's just, I think when people have these dreams about going to Hollywood and you know, the, the financial success, I think, really still is a dream that people associate with Hollywood, uh, whether it's working on any type of production or not. Like, I know someone who, 
you know, he's worked on several Marvel productions. He's been like a PA uh, on Marvel productions. He's stepped it up. He's like now like the head PA. He's like over all the other PAs and all that stuff. And uh, he might even be doing other things now, like with some directors, but uh, I haven't talked to him in a little bit. But when I did talk to him, he was working on Infinity War and he's been out in Hollywood now for almost a decade. Uh, last I heard, he was living in a house with eight different people. And it's not yeah. because I want to live in, like he doesn't want to live in there with like eight different people. It's because he doesn't make enough money yeah. is what I'm guessing because I can't understand another reason why someone would want to live with eight people. No. And you know, I, I know a guy and his cousin is supposedly in the music industry and is pretty successful. And he's like in his thirties and has been out there for a while and is really on the come up. And he's got like two or three other 30 year old roommates, you know? Yeah. And I, I think I mentioned this before. There was a guy that I knew who worked in the in the trailer industry. He'd been in Hollywood since the 90s. Um, Well-connected guy. And um, he was living with his wife and two children who were high-need children. And they were living in a two-bedroom apartment, you know, in... Uh, like Burbanker or some shit, you know, just yeah. crackerjack kind of stuff. And it's like, these kids definitely need like, a, you know, better living conditions than, not that it was like a bad apartment. I'm not saying that like it was a bad right. apartment, but like but you, at the that point that in your done, life, you should be yeah. at least in a small house, you know, at this point in your life in any other job. And in your career. Yeah, yeah exactly. you'd be in a small house, you know. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. And they know that they can keep dangling these people because of what they do. Oh, but look mm -hmm. at the stuff that you're working on. Look at the stuff. Like, mm -hmm. aren't the people that you are close to proud of you for what you've done? Isn't mm -hmm. that amazing? And it's like, well, financially, it doesn't really show. Like, yes, my name is in the credits of this big blockbuster movie. That's amazing. But am I seeing any residuals from that? Am yeah. I getting any kind of financial reward for that? that you know. Um, transitioning real fast. I do want to talk about your last episode because I listened to it. Yeah. Because I love Death Proof, love Planet Terror. I thought those were wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I saw it opening night. Okay. Uh, you know, I was 17, 18 years old when it came out. I saw it opening night, went at midnight. Uh, watched Planet Terror, had an absolute blast, right? Like you guys talked about that. It was a, it was a very fun ride. That's again an hour and a half, hour forty-five minute movie, right? Mm -hmm. So it's one forty-five in the morning. We have another trailer right before Death Proof. It's about two a.m. when this movie starts, and yeah, you know when I when it started rolling, I was hyped. Saw Quentin Tarantino coming off that Kill Bill two, and I'm like, this is gonna be so good, so good. <laughs> and then it was just so much dialogue, uh -huh. so much dialogue. And I'm fairly certain I fell asleep in parts of that. <laughs> and that was the movie I was the most hyped for, right? Because, I mean, it's Quentin Tarantino. I love Robert Rodriguez, love Desperado, the faculty from Dust Till Dawn. Terrific filmmaker. Mm -hmm. But I was there for Quentin. And uh, to fall asleep during a, one of my favorite filmmakers' movies, it, it deeply disturbed me yeah. <laughs> after I left because I was like, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, you know, but... It, for me, I love Death Proof more mm -hmm. than Planet Terror. Planet Terror is such a fun ride. It's so good. Uh, 
you know, I don't remember his name, but you do, I think, uh, the the protagonist with the the biker. Uh, oh, uh, Freddie Rodriguez, El Rey. Freddie Rodriguez, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, loved him, thought he was terrific. Rose McGowan. Are you a wrecker, Ray? She was my celebrity crush for the longest time. I really hate the path that she has taken uh, today, but <laughs> she was she was amazing back then. And uh, great you know, and scream, great and scream. Scream is my favorite slasher film of you know. It's probably one of my favorite horror films, if not my favorite. Um, so you know, I love that film dearly. And then, but Death Proof, Death Proof was so bold in what it did and by taking you know the two different storylines mashing them together in a way that felt organic but also it did feel like two different films Mm -hmm. but it works somehow he managed it to work the problem is is it's not a grindhouse film no not at all it's not a grindhouse film planet terror is a grindhouse film even with the missing reels and the cigarette burns on the film all of it is there death proof is just it's a fun movie that you're going to watch and you know it's a Quentin Tarantino dialogue. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a Quentin movie. And yeah. I, I truly stand by that I definitely think he sort of lost sight of what the homework project was a little bit. They chose the wrong filmmaker. That's yeah. not his style. No. They were, I get it. They're, they're friends. But you should have, Robert Rodriguez should have went to someone else. It should have been Edgar Wright, you know. Edgar Wright would have been terrific. Rob Zombie would have been terrific. Mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino is Quentin Tarantino. He makes his own films. Yeah. You can't box. Maybe he should have, maybe he could have gone out and, you know, I'm not sure if George would have been up to doing it, but maybe it could have been interesting to have like, you know, the new generation of kind of, you know. The Gecko brothers? (laughs) Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? The George Clooney? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But go and get Romero to come in and and see if he would want to do, you know, the second half of it. And then he could have had Rodriguez and Romero and it could have been old and new, you know, these could have been other options, but yeah, Pat's not taken. Yeah, no, I agree. Or it could have just been, you know, Quentin have a ball with this, you know, like I think it was too constrained of an idea with having, you know, Kurt Russell killing people in his car. Like you said, I think it was a great, in a way it is a slasher mm-hmm. uh, with the way that it's handled. Uh you know, but I think the idea was just so small in comparison to what Planet Terror was. Like Planet Terror mm-hmm. was this grand scale idea. Uh, even though it's kind of simple, if you think about it, it's still grand in scale because of all the stuff that it does. Um, but like, if you had him say, uh, like from Dust Till Dawn just felt like two different films, right? You yeah. have the the Gecko Brothers and then you have the, the Titty Twister. Mm-hmm. Um, go back and be like, okay, so what happens to George Clooney? Get George Clooney in 2007 to reprise that role. That would have been insane. Yeah. That would have. Oh, George. He wouldn't do it now either. No, no, they missed out. They missed out. And I will never forgive them for not revisiting that character because it would have been great. It would have been. And El Rey, I think that would have been terrific. But... Oh, that could have been fun. Yeah. No, no, no. That would have been really good. And I do disagree with you. Werewolf Women of the SS. That's my movie that I'm sold on. I hate that that movie never got made because Nick Cage is Fu Manchu. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Here for it all day long. Uh, I, I honestly wouldn't have minded all of them being made. Uh, yeah. 
Thanks I think killing, that they, like you said, would have been terrific too. Ah. Oh. That's that I think is one that really had a lot of commercial viability because also like we don't have a Thanksgiving movie. Could have nope. been this one. I know. Oh well. Um, but don't would have been good too. But yeah, like you said, all of them. Yeah. Um. Well, I think that that's pretty much all that I have. Um, Sky, do you want to tell the people where they can find you and and do a little same shameless self promotion? I am off the grid. Ah, okay. I'm on. <laughs> you can uh, follow me on Twitter. I don't know my Twitter handle. That's how much I use social media. But I'll I'll link all of Sky's things, <laughs> the podcast, and everything in the description. Uh, it's great, and I do have a uh, a podcast of my own that my my co-host would uh, shame me forever if I didn't plug it. So we uh, we have a podcast called the Weekly Pop Up. It is terrific. My goal uh, is because my co-host. One of them is a little scared of horror films. So I would love for Paul to, to come on and uh, discuss something. I don't know yeah. yet. Uh, maybe maybe Ali, uh, Ari Aster, maybe from uh, oh, sure. and Samara. I think he really is coming up as the king of horror. Okay. Uh, as well as Flanagan. Like Flanagan is just, he's got proven Flanagan. so much. Uh, you've got Eggers, you've got um, James Wan, Aster, James Wan. We've got some good ones working right now. Yeah, it really is kind of like this golden age of horror right now with with these talented filmmakers. Um, yeah. So, but yeah. No, hell yeah, That's man. Uh, I'd love to come on. Um, so just let me know whenever. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, Film Buds, for listening. Uh, that's been the show next week uh is i think hispanic heritage horror which is going to have chronos and tigers are not afraid i think is what it's called. um and so that should be a good one i think we're going to have nick delgadillo on for that one uh check the socials and also uh if you haven't already earlier this week i posted uh club girl a little zombie movie that i made in college so if you haven't go and give that a little watch um and i also have a a little post about the the making of that movie from my experience and i'll link that as well um it's been a blast guys keep listening uh like subscribe spread the word and uh have a good evening bye